Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and as always, the internet rage to my virtual table flip, Mr. Robert Lundgren, how you doing? Hello, hello. I'm sad. I'm sad, Jonathan. I made, don't be sad. I made some bread. Why are you sad? I, I made bread, and I screwed up on it, and uh, I, I don't know if it'll be tasty, because it's still cooling, and I gotta wait for it to cool a little bit, but I think I may have made an edible bread. And, and the process... Of making sourdough bread it takes about twenty two hours, so yeah, and I can't really get started again until tomorrow. <laughs> hey man, I can't even find friggin' bleached flour or anything. So I, I mean, like your your world's ahead of me. Uh, I've got a twenty pound bag of flour. Still no flour to be found. Are you still having problems getting uh, paper towels? Because I've had those forever. No paper towels are back. Toilet paper's back. Uh, not always in huge supply, but it's always on the shelf now. You know what I mean. I know what you mean. It's it's not what you would have expected, uh, traditionally speaking. Uh, meat's looking pretty good, although it, it can get a little skittish. Uh, and the the big thing that we're missing now is stuff for baked goods. That that seems to be what what is uh, just not coming back into stock. Well, my friend, again, you can pull yeast out of the very air itself and create bread out of primal elements. And I encourage everybody listening to do so. the The ten days to make a sourdough starter. Is it 10 worth it days? It's so good. It's so good. Just type in Chef John Sourdough Starter, and you can listen to Chef John Make Sourdough Starter with his weird inflections on his voice that I'm not even doing correctly right now because that man has a strange kind of cadence. No, I, you just have to watch a video. You just have to watch it to understand. Okay. But I, okay. I love that man. I love that man a lot. He, uh, he does dad jokes. He'd appreciate that. Oh, well, then I have to. I have to check him out. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a good guy. I like Chef John. Also, uh, uh, he he uh, he replies to a lot of his tweets because uh, in the gaming forums, people were talking about baking, and I, if anybody was baking, and I in, out in the gamer Twitter sphere replied that I'm making Chef John sourdough, and Chef John liked it and said, "Hope it goes well." And I'm like, "That's cool." Chef John's a good guy. Hey. <laughs> As always, let's get started with a big thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on in uh, about the weirdest time ever. Speaking of weird, uh, tell me about our day. This is an, an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the easy mode one would be uh, Cinco de Mayo, because that is also on May 5th. But I decided to go, uh, May 5th is a uh, happy national Silence the Shame Day. I like it. It brings us an opportunity to continue the conversation about mental health and wellness and erase the stigma associated with mental illness. I just made like a flowing, flinging away gesture with my hand while I said that, which you does not get picked up on the microphone, but I wanted you to know it was there. National Silence the Shame Day offers education and awareness, opening up conversations about mental health and wellness and mental illness and recovery. Text uh, silence to 707070 or 707070. Uh, to uh, benefit educational programs and awareness for mental health services. And use the hashtag, silence the shame. So there you go. And since we're, there is no stigma, there's no stigma here. Uh, yeah, no, I've, I've had anxiety stuff. I've been, I've been dealing with that for quite a while now. We've talked about it off the air a little bit. So yeah, there you go. No shame. Silence the shame. 
Yeah, I uh, I have too uh, suffered from uh, the occasional anxiety. So anyway, yes, silence the shame, people. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, moving right along, it is time for us to jump into our first segment. That is, of course, the off-the-shelf segment. This is our segment where we tell you about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables, but most importantly, into our hearts and minds. Yes. Well, I'm just going to, I mean, I think I picked last time. What do, what do you, you want to do first? Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, my, my, my two weeks have been sparse. It has been it has been a rough two weeks. Well, I know you've had some video games, so let's start there. Okay, yeah, the kids the kids have have gone buck wild, Jonathan. I've definitely noticed in the last week and a half to two weeks. Uh, I think people are starting to hit their limit if they're not uh, attuned to a more sequestered lifestyle. I guess you could say. And I've just noticed that people seem to be running out of patience and this is the worst time to run out of patience. So hang in there, gang, hang in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the part of the problem too, is we were trapped inside cause it was rainy for like a whole week. Oh yeah. It was here. It was the same here. And I think that drove people really down. My boy who seems to not like to go outside really wanted to go outside. He's like, can we go out and play? And I'm like, it's pouring rain outside child. Like, no, <laughs> what are you thinking? And then he's, and then, and then he just got mad. Anyway, yes, uh, so uh, we're not going anywhere, right? Like, everything's stopped. Uh, we were supposed to go on vacation. Uh, we were supposed to go on a couple of vacations this summer. That was the plan, anyway. We're going to go visit some... Uh, I was going to go visit some of the in-laws, and, and we were... Yes, but that that's... One of the vacations is already gone, and, and uh, the, the in-laws one looks isn't looking good at this point, so... We have decided to move our vacation budget into virtual vacation mode, and we bought a Nintendo Switch and joined the cultural zeitgeist that is Animal Crossing New Horizons. I see, I see, I see. And how are you enjoying it? Oh, my, Jonathan. Hold on, I need to take a sip of coffee for this. Also, my allergy's been acting up. It's terrible. Throat's all scratchy. Now you got the Rona. I don't have the Rona. Um, (laughs) (coughs) Make me cough. That's what the kids say. Every time somebody in the house sneezes or coughs, you hear a scream from the other room. Oh, you got the Rona. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons. It's nice because there's been five, I want to say, total Animal Crossing games. And I played the very, very, very first one on the cube and played it a lot. Uh, at the time, I was living with another couple and uh, we all kind of took our turns on it. And we, our schedules all worked out because I worked nights and they worked days. And so... You know, like they would play it and do their stuff. And it, it's a very it's like it's like an app game. There's a lot of just like maintenance you have to do. And it, it plays very well over time. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the original. And here we are, you know, 13, 14 years. Hi, Brandon. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> been been playing the sequel. So there's been a lot of iteration, which I think it would have been a lot more frustrating to like sit through all of that iteration. But now that it's here, it's like there's a lot of familiar because it's Animal Crossing. But there's a lot of new, which is really nice. And yeah, it's good stuff. I'm I'm enjoying. I, I I fish a lot in that game. So much fishing. Yeah, I find myself fishing a lot in video games too. Well, in that game you can get an aquarium, or not an aquarium. Well, like not not like a personal aquarium, but like a, a museum aquarium. And so fish you catch that you don't have, you can put in there. And my my kid has been. We've been learning about all sorts of stuff because one day I was out fishing and I caught this weird monstrosity that I never heard of before. Have you ever heard of an oar fish? Yeah, I've heard an oarfish. Oarfish are kind of cool. I, saw, I used to see them off the coast of Mexico from time to time. 
yeah, I caught one and, and led down a Wikipedia spiral. And then, you know, the kid wanted to know more. And so we used it as an educational thing. So it's good times. There you go. It's a creepy looking fish. It, yes. It's like not far removed from a worm. They don't have scales and their flesh is considered yeah. nigh inedible because it is, quote, gelatinous. And I'm like, that's terrifying. Nah. That's not a word I want to I want to hear about meat. Gelatinous meat. Like if if your if your flesh was gelatinous underneath your skin, you would not be having a good day. Don't tell that to the Norwegians. You know they like that lutefisk. <laughs> but that's that's a process. Like the the gelatinousness gets there. Yeah, but it makes it gelatinous. It makes it gelatinous. It's right. It's but think about what you have to do meat. to make flesh gelatinous. You have to like you have to like cover it in poison and then wash that poison off a ton, and then that makes it gelatinous. <laughs> Hey, kids, you know what makes every meal better? Arsenic. Lots of arsenic. And lie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so, so good. gross. All right, moving I, right along. I don't, I don't know how you get that process. You know, it's like, it's like I've got this big pile of poison and then, like, fish I want to preserve. I'm like, how do I get from poison to preserved fish? Well, always, let's try. Uh, I always just uh, imagine Tony Shalhoub's character from uh, Galaxy Quest. <laughs> I got an idea, guys. <laughs> Yeah, that does sound like somebody's like weed fever haze. Like, hey man, what if we like put poison on this fish and then like wash the poison off? What what if we don't wash it off enough? Nah, man, we'll wash it real good, and <laughs> real, the- real good. <laughs> and you know, you know, you know, Rob over there, he'll eat anything. Like, yeah, just give it to Rob. <laughs> and if Rob dies, then then we'll wash it more. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, more 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 washing. Anyway, yeah, Animal Crossing uh, New Horizons, uh, thumbs up so far. And my wife has been playing the dickens out of it, too. She loves it. And that's what's nice about that game. Like I said, it's kind of like you, you live on an island together, and so, like, yeah, we, we can have projects. Right now we're trying to build a bridge. I know, it sounds dumb. It's the dumbest game. Like, you try to explain that game, it sounds idiotic, but it's, uh, it's oddly engaging. I tried Animal Crossing once. It wasn't for me. Moving right along. What else it, helps when, it, it helps when you play with people like like because then the, i get a little competitive because when you donate fish to the museum it says who donated it and i like my name to be on everything and so it's, yes. it's just i'm never gonna get there buddy okay it's just not my not my corner of the world you know what i mean as austin powers would say it's not your bag baby no no not my bag baby indeed uh what other games what other games uh, since we got the Switch, uh, we bought, because it was super cheap that week on the store, we bought Just Dance 2020. So that's where uh, you... Yes, that's been being played here at my house, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when it's rainy and you can't go outside. That game is a surprising workout. Like, we, uh, the, after the first day of Just Dance, like, the next day I woke up and I was, like, sore. And I'm like, this, this is nonsense. <laughs> it's not saying much, bud. No, it really, it really isn't. I, I've, I've been off the workout wagon for a while, but um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's nice getting to move around again. My wife and I have like a pack that we're gonna, um, uh, we have those Apple watches, and we're gonna close our exercise yeah. ring by just dancing every day. And uh, we've been bad the last two days, but yeah, we're, we try to do that at least a couple times a week. Gotta so. get caught up. Time for a marathon tonight. There you go. Yeah, our, our session. Got to burn off all that those poor carbs of that terrible, terrible bread. I'm sure I made. And then I see some Zelda happening. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I had to get that. I had to get that. So I've been playing that. that I really game, liked it, it. I really liked it. It's bizarre. It is. So, it, I need to go back and finish it. It feels like the original one to me, which is really weird. But it's no, like, it does. That, it does. It really, really it, does. That's, yeah, that's got, a good, good call out. And, and the world design is exquisite because, like, you see something, you're like, what's over there? Is there something cool over there? And every time there's something cool over there, like bad guys or 
some hidden secrets seemingly or some fairy trapped in a bush. <laughs> like I, I wandered into this grove and there was this giant plant thing and it was like, hey, give me money so I can get out of here. Uh, and then this giant hand came out of it. I'm like, I don't know if I want to give 100 rupees to a giant hand. That sounds scary. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, that, that game's that game's quite good. I am I am. I'm on a frustrating bit right now, so I play it for like 20 minutes, and I progress like another quarter of the way through this frustrating bit, and then, yeah, we'll see where I'm at. But I'm trying to get to the the Shark-Mer people city, the Zora, and uh, the way there is kind of irritating. I'm doing a lot of save scumming where I die, and then somehow Link has preternatural knowledge of where the bad guys are. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've all done that at some point. I'm doing it a lot. Like he, he somehow he got like full recon of that whole area. Cause he's shooting people. He shouldn't be able to see just from a distance. You know, it's almost like he tried it before. <laughs> and then uh, ran out of arrows. You know, what's that movie coming out? Tenet. Maybe yes. it's just Tenet. Yes. Yes. Or, or, uh, the, the Tom Cruise movie, whatever that one was. Minority report. No, no. The one, the one where he was killing the, the aliens with the lady with the helicopter blade sword. I can't oh, uh, uh, first of all, that's Emily Blunt. Yeah. Uh, I love you, Emily Blunt, if you're hearing this, for whatever strange, strange reason. I just love you. That's it. That's it. No, nothing more needs to be said. Uh, edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Yes, yes. It's, I'm very Edge of Tomorrowing it. But yeah, no, Nintendo Switch, is, it's, it's really good. It's, it's a really well-designed system. I'm, I forgot how good Nintendo is at their game, you know? Well, sometimes, sometimes. Well, no, they experiment. They experiment. I, I, I'm not saying they always get it right, but when they get it right, boy, do they get it right. <laughs> you know? Hashtag not the Wii balance board. <laughs> oh, yeah, not the Wii U. But, 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 again, that's when they... Oh. Yeah. When they get it right, though. They, also they known as Nintendo's games. Dreamcast. Oh. Oh. But yeah, Switch, highly recommend if you can find one. The Costco bundle, Costco's been getting them in about once every two weeks, or at least up here, so hopefully you can get one. Uh, well, I'm continuing to play through the Final Fantasy uh, remake. It's continuing to be interesting. Uh, I'm about 22 hours in now, so my, my consumption has slowed down quite a bit. But I'm about two-thirds of the way through the game, which in the original game is about hour four of the original game. It's about a it's about a five to one return. Uh, what chapter are you on? Uh, fifteen, I think. Oh wow, you're almost done. There's only eighteen. Fourteen, the maybe fourteen or fifteen. I, I'm I'm getting pretty deep. Uh, I've got both Aerith and Tifa now. Oh, fun. And Barrett. Uh, no, Barrett is not with me right now. Oh, uh, too bad. Too bad. But he will be soon. I think uh, the, the the plot is indicating that we'll all be back together soon. Cool. There have been some challenging boss battles. I'm very much enjoying the combat system still. It's it's still a lot of fun. And when you come across a cha- challenging boss battle, it's it's interesting because what I found is it's generally not um, the battle per se. It's that you're not approaching it properly. Because I change my approach radically if I die. And, um, you know, sometimes it just I, I realize, yeah, I was just on the wrong tack there. I should I should have been doing this one thing, but I was not. And then I paid dearly for it. I'll give it another go sooner or later. I hope so. I hope so. I think you'd, I think you'd enjoy it. I really do. I, I'm in, I'm in Switchland now, so I will. I'll get there eventually. What else have you been playing? Let's see here. Uh, what else have you been playing? Uh, this week, 
and unfortunately it'll be done by the time that this comes out so i i let's we'll go ahead and put it on the website so hopefully you 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 saw our post on facebook or the website or something but uh shogun total war 2 uh was free this week yeah i already it's on the mac no less i was able to download it which is nice that is one of the best rts games ever put down it is so good and I'm so excited to play through it again. And I actually didn't realize just how much uh, additional content had come out. And the additional content was 75% off. So I think I got the entirety of the, the bundle, the game, and all the uh, DLC for $13. I, I think it was twelve seventeen. I remember looking at it. It was 12 something Like uh, the and bundle. Tax. Oh, yeah, that's right. You have tax where you're, where you're at. Yeah, I know. I live in the Dark Ages. Yeah, yeah. Where you have a regressive sales tax that hurts the uh, the least wealthy more than the most wealthy. See, here we just have an income tax that the state collects that funds beautiful, beautiful libraries, Jonathan. I know, I know. Uh, trust me, you don't have to tell me <laughs> how much better your system is than mine. <laughs> I, I, I understand, and you know I'm actively fighting against my idiot system. <laughs> Anything else? You've been playing or shall we move on? Uh, yeah. Predator Hunting Grounds came out. How I'm having is a blast that? with it. I am I am intrigued. So that is, it, it, it's like the old AVP game, right? Except there's no A. But, um, well, yeah. First of all, there's no A. So that's. Yeah, but, it, but it's like there's only like a couple of predators per. No, there's one predator and four uh, humans. Okay. So it, it's kind of like that game Evolve, if you remember yeah. that from a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Evolve. Uh, it's a lot more balanced than Evolve. At least my experience has been a lot more balanced, for what it's worth. It, basically, the the four human players have an entire mission against AI uh, humans that they can do. And so there, there's a reason for them to be out in the jungle, just like there was in the original movie. Mm-hmm. And once you get deep into the jungle and you're fighting the NPCs, uh, the Predator will begin to stalk you. And that's it's really fun if you play as the Predator. Uh, as the humans, it's pretty much a by the number shooter with kind of not the greatest AI, but it's enough to keep you busy where the real thrill comes in is when the predator shows up and starts doing their predator stuff. And the toolkit that the predator has is, is straight from all the films. It borrows from all four films and it even references the, the newest film, uh, and which was also a, a direct tie to uh, predator two with project stargazer. So you got the spear gun, the wrist blades, the axe, the or the the, the throwing star thing that cuts people in half. Yeah. Well, it cuts Gary Busey in half, actually. It does cut Gary Busey in half, and that one poor guy in the fourth movie. Yeah, the and there's like what the net and there's a a, a net, the shoulder cannon, the combi stick. Oh um, yeah, the spear. There's the spear a y- Yuata bow, which is you know the the predator's own name for themselves. Yeah, but it's like it's like a, a like a Rambo bow. Yeah. Um, and I just recently, uh, there's, there's tons and tons of unlockable uh, outfits and stuff. So I bought the, um, half up, half down cowboy hat that, uh, the governor of Minnesota wore in the original predator. And that makes me happy. I ain't got time to bleed. That's right. <laughs> Make you into a sexual tyrannosaur. <laughs> <laughs> can't say the first part of that line anymore because that's the no-no now. (laughs) 
Yeah, when you go back to that movie, man, like it's using some very 80s vernacular. <laughs> I had to stop the movie and explain to Carlos when I watched it. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's, there's some things that were okay to say back then. Not not okay to say now. I don't ever want to hear you say it. <laughs> they had a free weekend of it right before it launched, and I wanted to try it, but I forgot. I did try it, which is why I decided to pick it up. I had a discount on the Epic Game Store. Um and so uh, it has cross-platform play with the PlayStation. This is actually an interesting experiment. This is Sony's first uh, PC game. So you're just wrecking those poor controller players then? I use a controller on my PC. I'm not a mouse and keyboard guy. So people this are wrecking kind of game, you. honestly, doesn't matter. No, I, I have lost very few rounds. I'm apparently quite adept at uh, the Predator game. Any other video games? Uh, no, that's kind of it. More Apex. Nothing new to report there. The, I have finished my season four stuff, so now I'm just patiently waiting for uh, the season to end so that I can move into season five. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Uh, well, that's video games. What about uh, movies and TV? Um, nothing. I've watched a couple things. Nothing mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I've I've watched stuff, but nothing I want to talk about because it was not either good or bad enough to really bring comment on. Well, we 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 watched the entirety of the pandemic documentary series on Netflix. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very interesting, and it's funny because I, I I told my wife and the kids they started filming this in early 2019, and they just released the finished movie, and the whole thing plays like a giant. Look what will happen in six months. <laughs> it was so creepily on the spot about exactly what would happen, exactly how people would react. And it, it's just it's amazing. Just jaw droppingly amazing. I, I listened to a, an interesting podcast today along those lines. Uh, I've talked about before Imaginary Worlds. Uh huh. Have, have you ever heard of the World of Warcraft? I, I believe it was the Tainted Blood incident. Um, no, I, I, yes, a little bit, right? It's like they, it was a disease that went through the World of Warcraft and it, it modeled the way an actual pandemic could work. In that game, what it was, was they, they introduced a new boss. The boss had a debuff called Tainted Blood. Uh, if you got it, it would do damage over time, blah. Um, the thing was, if you were one of the classes that had a pet, like hunters and warlocks, if your pet got the disease, you could put your pet away, <laughs> um, like you do in a video game. And the disease would stay on your pet and then you could go back out into you know the non-dungeony world and give it to guards because guards at in at the time had absurd amounts of health and so it wouldn't kill them it would just keep ticking on them because the the debuff it couldn't go away it would only go away if somebody cured you of it and so if the guards of like cities got it they would just stay on them and then it would get on lower level players and like instantly murder them and and all of this and uh, it was uh, it was an interesting podcast because it uh there were a couple of uh, uh, epidemiologists that uh, studied that event because it's the first time in modern history where they actually got to see what a population with a disease would do. And part of it was like some people tried to, uh, you know, they, w- they would stay away from the cities and they were just out doing other things. Other people uh, were who had the ability to cure it because only a couple classes did. They would basically risk their virtual lives going into the cities trying to cure the guards of this disease uh but the the range that you could get the disease and the range that you could cast that spell were really close (laughs) so you know you had people doing that 
And then you had people intentionally spreading the disease. And while uh, in this uh, pandemic, I wouldn't say anybody is going out around intentionally spreading COVID, uh, what they thought was interesting is... Oh, uh, really? Have you met my city council members? What I think is interesting, or what they said was interesting, is it's not that people are going to go out intentionally like spreading the disease, but there's going to be people who are intentionally not caring about it much because uh, there were people who weren't doing a good job of not spreading the disease because if you're like a high-level player, you could just eat the debuff and you could usually get rid of it off of yourself pretty easily. It, it's like those people while, where this doesn't affect me, so I don't care and I'm, I'm not going to change my play style even though it's affecting other people because it's not affecting me and I don't care. That's the behavior that uh, epidemiologists had never really considered before because all pandemic models previous to that, uh, that assumed people would be rational. And this was the first time they got to see a disease spread through a, a population where there were irrational behaviors and what those would be. And uh, yeah, they kind of predicted some of the, uh, you know, liberate Minnesota stuff. <laughs> they were writing papers about how that would happen uh, back because of the, uh, the tainted blood incident. And uh, did, did your documentary cover a similar thing? No, no, but it, it, it shows what happened in a lot of previous outbreaks and it showed a lot of people saying, Hey, we're not ready for this. And if we happens and we, we don't react in a specific fashion, it's just going to spiral out of control and everything that they talk about. There it is. There you go. So the, the, the kids have expressed a pretty in, big interest in whodunits. Uh, okay. Like they really enjoyed knives out and a couple others. So I showed them the prestige. Oh, Nice. And, uh, man, like Chloe was really into that movie. She really likes whodunits <laughs> and she was fascinated by the, uh, by the reveal at the end. It was, uh, a, a pretty interesting. She and I had a long talk about it later and it was kind of strange cause she's starting to understand movies closer to the way an adult does rather than a kid. And like when your kids get to that point, just gets, it starts to, I don't know. It marks a sad day because it means they're, they're they're closer to adults than children anymore. But at the same time, I'm in, I'm enjoying that conversation in a different ways. How old is she now? She'll be 11 real soon, but she's very mature for her age in certain respects, <laughs> and in others, not so much. Well, yeah, because she's on the verge of teenager dumb. <laughs> oh God! I don't know if you know this, but teenagers are not known for their rational behavior, hormone fueled angsty behavior. Yes. Oh God! Don't get me started. <laughs> uh, beyond that, um, I have started watching Bosch season six on Amazon. Uh, I watched another two episodes of Tales from the Loop. I'm, I'm slowly consuming that because it tastes so good. And I am just uh, I don't want to I don't want to rush it. So I'm, I'm watching one a week until I'm through it. Cool. cool. So, yeah, that's what I've been watching. Uh, what about uh, any miniature stuff? No. <laughs> I sent you a picture of my new buddy. I, I got my gif. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the figurine of not wondrous power, of cute power, of... I forget what that line is called. Figurines of adorable power. Of adorable power, yes, 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 yes. The gif. I love him. Yeah. I love him so much. <laughs> I've named him uh, Reginald von Hippobottom. <laughs> Well, if we ever manage to play D&D together someday, I should run Spelljammer for you so you can get your hippo fantasies out. Uh, yes, I have uh, an entire characterization for, for Reginald, and I just need a, uh, a reason to bring him out and play him. Yeah, yeah, monocled, steampunky, flintlock pistol shooting hippo people. 
Yeah. Massive hippo people. Yeah, they're Over pretty seven big. Seven feet tall, mm-hmm. massive, massive hands. Yeah, I believe they're in Morden Canaan's uh, Tome of Foes. I think they I are. Think, they are indeed. Yeah. There you go. So if you want to know more, that is the D&D to go pick up. Would you like to know more? Would you like to know more? <laughs> How about, uh, I see that you did get an RPG in? Yeah, yeah, we're playing Scion. Uh, oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, it's it's the uh, it's basically Percy Jackson, the role-playing game, I guess. Uh, uh, the characters are kids of various gods. Uh, so we started, and uh, my character's weird, because, like, uh, if you don't remember from last time, uh, he was made by the god Pa, Ta, P-T-A-H, I don't even know how to say it. My character literally came into existence at the beginning of the campaign with, you know, like pre-programmed knowledge and uh, very, very sure that he's there for a purpose, but doesn't exactly know what it is. And it has a giant hammer and we're, we're kind of doing the stranger things. So I'm kind of the 11 of the group, you know, the, the, the kid mm-hmm. that didn't exist until fairly recently. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting. The system is I'm not sure how I feel about it still. Um, I, I actually read a derivative of it, so I'm, I'm curious how it will shake out. I'll get to that when we get to reading. But um, yeah, no, I'm I, I'm enjoying it. It's good times. Uh, we're playing uh, in a fictitious city in uh, northwest, west east, northeast Colorado, which is one of the reasons why my guy uh, has Alpine Highland uh, survival knowledge for no apparent reason because that's the area I'm in, so I know how to survive in it. I'm actually fairly good at that. Um, nice. but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, our, our characters all met up on the, uh, the first day of school when I, when I put, bamfed into existence and, uh, just tried to bluff my way into going to high school because, you know, it's what you do. I am very shocked. I did not end up in foster care at the end of it, but well, the, the day is young. Uh, we, we kind of ended at the end of the first day, so we'll see, we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, I'm going to send you something right now that I just uh, came across because somebody sent it to me and I think you need to have this and I'd like I'd like to hear your reaction on Is this this is an on-air reaction? Are you sending it via phone or via Skype chat? I'm going to send it via Skype chat. Okay. Jonathan is typing. Dot dot dot. Jonathan has posted a link. <laughs> <laughs> So what Jonathan wearing, sent me is it's wearing a, a collar. It's wearing a collar. A GIF of a uh, predator. Predator of people po- cosplaying a predator and people cosplaying a xenomorph. No, and they're this, real. Those are not real. Shut up! They're real. And the xenomorph is sitting on a swing, and the predator is pushing the xenomorph in a, on a swing because you know. And and the xenomorph is also wearing a collar with a chain. Well, for a yeah. leash. Yeah, yeah, well, it's a, it's a pet. But he's, he's so happy. Look at him. He's on the swing. He's just getting his little swingies on. And My, I bet later he'll take him for some nuggies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what Somebody I should just sent that to me. You, you know what I should have shared uh, during video games, I realized? So I mentioned last week that my, my daughter is learning uh, fantastic life lessons from The Sims 4. Uh, yeah, she uh, her her character's family is is just a dumpster fire of a family it's it's kind of amazing watching like an eight-year-old try to like pretend to be an or pretend to be an adult or like manipulating an adult family because like her concept of of that is very odd and it doesn't jive with how the game wants to work a lot of the time because <laughs> her sims are always angry it's so weird like they have these little jewels over their head and if they're green they're happy but they're 
Their jewels are always orange or worse or red. <laughs> and I'm like, this family's a dumpster fire. So, so, um, the family, well, I come downstairs, uh, and she's playing and the, the second child that, that I talked about last time, uh, is just sort of wandering around in the middle of the night. And I asked my daughter, I'm like, what's, what's going on? Why is that toddler wandering around your neighborhood at, and I look at the in game clock midnight <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, uh, her parents took her to the park and then they, they went home and left her there because she fell asleep. <laughs> and so this toddler oh, fell asleep at the park and woke up at midnight without the parents around. And instead of her, I said, well, why didn't you send the parents out to get her? It's like, oh, that didn't work. So I told the toddler to go ask dad for food. So she's 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 getting home. It'll be fine. And so this toddler is just meandering through the city. At about 2 a.m., the daughter stumbles home, right? And what do I see when the daughter stumbles home? Opens the door to the house. There's, like, smelly trash food all over the floor. Like, a a good six piles of it just steaming everywhere. And Dad is just covered in filth. And he's just sort of, like, standing at the sink like he was doing something at the sink. But he's just standing there staring at the middle distance at the sink surrounded by trash covered in filth as his daughter who he forgot at the park meanders home at 2 a.m and uh yeah it was it was just this beautiful thing to watch of just this and i, I looked i looked at my daughter i'm like your, your family's a dumpster fire you know that and she's like no they're not and i'm like and i'm like why is there trash everywhere and she's like i'm cleaning it up dad and it's just it's so fascinating watching an eight-year-old play the sims it's it's the best and and, and yet it feels like a documentary of things that I've seen in my youth. <laughs> uh, some more, more valuable life lessons from the Sims to my daughter about, you know, yeah, you shouldn't leave your daughter at the park when she falls asleep on a bench. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you just make it sense and you know how that works in this, in this world. All right. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Have you been reading anything? Yes. Yes. So I had a gift card to a store, (laughs) uh, a bookstore, and they sent out the thing that, you know, they had to fire a bunch of people because of uh, or, or, you know, because of the COVID and whatnot. And they were talking about how they may not be able to keep going much longer. And so I'm like, I should probably spend this gift card. Uh, So uh, I looked and a second edition that was, you know, re-released via Kickstarter of a of a game that I loved from my youth uh, was there, and so I went ahead and plunked down the the dollar dollar bills for it, and I got uh, the Trinity Continuum RPG, and then its first like kind of setting supplement, the Aeon. Uh, I think it's just called Aeon, um, which is basically the second edition of a role playing game that White Wolf released in the late '90s called Trinity, which was their kind of it's a weird sci fi space opera game. Um, and, uh, I love it and I loved it back then. I, and it was, it's that game for me that I love the most that I never played. And, uh, and here's the thing. It's because it's because I, I had this vision. I really do not want to go in the weeds about this, so I'm not going to explain why this happens, but there's, there's teleporting ships because, um, because they're psychics and they make teleporting ships, biotech ships. Why wouldn't they? And I had this idea for a game where, um, the, the old way that humanity used to fly around space is they had psychics that would do the teleporting for you. Like, I guess, navigators of the spice. 
<laughs> um, but the teleporters disappeared for fluff reasons, which are much too lengthy to get into. And so they had to build spaceships that were able to teleport. And so the people who have clairvoyance powers, they can like see into space with their high level of clairvoyance. I can't even say that word now. They're cl- clairvoyance. clairvoyant powers. There we go. Um, and then they could, the ship itself would have the ability to teleport. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool to run a game where, um, because the teleporters had disappeared, like people hadn't been to the earth colonies in like a decade. I'm like, wouldn't it be interesting to run a game where you're like going back to these colonies and seeing what happened after 10 years. And that was kind of the, the thing of the game is like checking in with all these colonies. And I was telling this to my wife and my wife goes, yeah, isn't that the, the same hook you used in that microscope game that we did on the air? And I'm like, yes, honey, where do you think I got that idea from? It was from way back then in the game that I never, ever ran that I thought would be cool back in the mid nineties. And it's just been percolating in my brain for 20 years. So full circle here, full circle. So I guess you could say I liked it. <laughs> the Trinity Continuum, it's kind of a riff off of the old White Wolf system. Um, it's, you know, it's very, very similar. Roll piles of D10s and try to roll sevens or higher. Uh, re-roll tens. It's, it's, nothing, it's nothing earth shattering. So I've been playing Scion, which is using, it's called the Story Path system, and it uses a very si- similar system. And I got to say, the Trinity version is way better. One, because it's slightly more focused because it's like spy fi you know, focused instead of like fantasy where fantasy has like magic weapons and critters and magic and blah. Like spy fi is just like gadgets and like cool crap you do, you know? So it's a little bit more focused. And since they've had a second crack at the rules, the rules are written a lot better because we, we were making characters the first time there was so much confusion about how to generate these characters. And then reading this book, it's like, Oh, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. So, yes, if between the two, I would recommend Trinity. The Trinity Continuum. I started reading a new book. Go on. Oh, you finished Cersei then? Uh, yes, I finished Cersei and uh, finished uh, Console Wars again, uh, which was awesome. And now I'm reading uh, The Wise Men. And it's about uh, uh, these these six men, Avril Harriman, Dean Acheson, George Keenan, Robert Lovett, John McCloy, and Charles Bolin. And they are basically the, the backbone of the American establishment from uh, the 1920s onward until about the 1970s. Huh. And so basically they defined what our Cold War strategy was and all kinds of stuff. It was very interesting. Fun. We're going to get into Cold War strategies in, in a little bit when we bond later, but that'll be later. <laughs> That'll be later. Yes, yes. but uh, it's a it's a behemoth of a book. It's eight hundred and fifty pages, and that's on the larger format. Wow! But it's from uh, Walter Isaacson, uh, who is an amazing author. If you've uh, ever read any of his biographies, and uh, he co-wrote it with Evan Thomas, uh, who made a really, uh, really great biography of Ike called Ike's Bluff. And here's the thing, people. Here's the thing. If you're making up sci-fi or fantasy nonsense for your, uh, your your role-playing game or your board game, just read some real history and riff off of that because I guarantee you real history is way more interesting. Oh, dude, this thing's yes. got secret societies and, and all kinds of stuff. There you go. That sounds up my... I love me some secret societies. Love me. Oh, them. yeah. No, these guys all went to the same... Um, were they in Skull and Bones? Prep school. And then, yes, they were in Skull and Bones. Oh. They attended college. Oh, I can't, I can't talk about their initiation, uh, skull and bones. Cause it's, uh, the thing they do is not safe for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> skull and bones. They self pleasure in coffins while t- 
telling each other their secrets. I'll go with that. I think that's fair. I think that's tame enough for me to say. I would have been okay with you not saying that out loud. (laughs) Well, moving right along. (laughs) After that one, I think we all need a quick break. So (laughs) that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment where we have... uh, We did do board games. talked about all the things that we've had off the shelves. Oh, well... All right, board games. You, did I just did I just wash your brain like like about. like you you only have finite knowledge in your head and just imagining you know like several of our ex presidents uh, uh, Bush and Bush Clinton and yeah yeah so many people <laughs> in skull and bones. Oh, this just so yeah, many. I, I won't even tell you about the weird campground where where a lot of our ex presidents have run around naked or nearly so and and you know burned effigies at the foot of an owl statue in San, in San Francisco. We could we can get into that later. uh did you play any board games well we played one together yes we did but we're gonna talk about that later so although we have talked about it before it's it's bizarre we played a board game across time and space the board game we played was bob ross the art of chill still holds up super fun Uh, i gotta say sitting down with ray and brendan uh and you who where you guys are like like top tier board gaming people I, i i felt i felt a little intimidated and a little bad because you know it's it's not like it's not high level board gaming, but, uh, and I could, I could tell, I, I, I thought I could feel at least that there was a little, you know, trepidation about how good the game was going to be, but by the end they were both having a good time. I could tell. So continues to hold up. That game engages everybody that you throw it at. And, and you know what, a, a credit to, to how well balanced it is. We were all so close to each other by the end. Yeah. Yeah. I made a couple of poor choices cause I was distracted and, uh, it, it, it did not pay up pay out for me at the end which was unfortunate but yes yes and you won shocker because you won every board game i did but it was close it was very close oh my god you say that but you uh, still won the board game i'm just saying you you win everything yeah but it was uh what it was it brendan or ray that got within like one square of the yeah yeah it was it was ray and and one was not far behind one different move and that would have that would have you know, gotten in the game. I just got lucky is what I did. I got very lucky. Right. Right. You won every board game. All right. So what have you played? Uh, well, we, we of course played Bob Ross together. Uh, and I have also been, uh, able to get a couple games of scythe, uh, in and, uh, continue to love that game. Uh, uh Dale, friend of the show, Dale, uh, introduced me to mega land, uh, which is the Ryan Lockett game, the target exclusive yeah. Ryan Lockett. And, I had a lot of fun with that. That was super, super fun. Very streamlined, very straightforward, a lot of depth. Um, and, of course, all the, the wonderful accoutrement that comes with a Ryan Lockett game and all that charm in the art and stuff. Uh, and then, uh, finally, I uh, got my Kickstarter of... See, I don't know if it's Monstro City or Monstrosity. It's, it's kind of up uh, for debate. But it's basically um, Rampage, the board game. But it takes a very different track than the uh, previous uh, game that tried to capture Rampage, which is now called Terror in Meeple City. But used to have a different name. Yes. It used to be called Rampage, in fact. But, well, let's just say it's not now, and then the lawyers will come and see us. Yes. So how is Monstro City? Monstroso City. I think uh, we'll be deep diving it, so I think we'll we'll talk about it soon. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, Carlos and Lincoln and Chloe and I all sat down and played it, and it's very thematic and uh, super fun. Giant monsters in a city go bang bang. Cool. 
Groovy, groovy. I think that's it. Yeah, that is it. So that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment, which means that it's time for a short break. But when we return from our break, it will, of course, be time for our Wisdom of Crowds and No Time to Bond segments. We will be back in just a moment. And we actually have news. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> I have news. It's okay. We'll make it through this together, buddy. We'll I'm, I'm not gonna together. just. I'm not just gonna give the PSA of of go float uh, your low FLGS a bone. Like like I got news. I mean, go float your FLGS a bone. But yes. Anyway, we're getting <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves. Come back, and we'll be back in just a moment. Do you have a tabletop board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And unlike several of the previous episodes we got news buddy i know uh no uh well uh up first aries games uh who i recently purchased the battlestar galactica miniatures game from have announced that they will be publishing an english edition of a game called last aurora now this is a game that funded last year on kickstarter and it's from uh marco chiaboto and it was originally published by pendragon game studio they will be releasing it to retail. It's a one-to-four-player game. Uh, it takes about 90 minutes, and it is a competitive post-apocalyptic game where all of the players are leaders of different crews that are trying to le- reach the last icebreaker ship currently in operation out on the frozen tundra. So Ares has actually posted the rules for the game, and if you don't mind it being in a different language, you can go get a little sneak peek at what the game looks like, as it was a funded Kickstarter. Uh, so there you go. Coming soon. This uh, this summer, I should say. It's coming this summer. I haven't, haven't been bringing it up, but uh, Wizards has been lately knocking it out of the park. So they have been releasing free content uh, to uh, to download and play for all of us that are staying at home. And at first it was a little annoying because it was just a lot of old Adventures League adventures. But they upped their game in week two and week three with a lot of stuff aimed at kids and and then some products that like expand on Storm King's Thunder and Castle Ravenloft, especially like a map pack that you can use to play Castle Ravenloft online, uh, or Curse of Strahd, I should say. It's just at uh, dnd.wizards.com slash remote slash free material, and they have been putting stuff in there every day this week, and you can go get some of the older stuff, although not old of all of it, uh, when uh, you look back in time. But yeah, a lot of free adventures, and like I said, those... Uh, those map packs and stuff they've been releasing have been pretty sweet. Also, uh, Zoom backgrounds. Oh, I was supposed to send you that link. Uh, you don't need Zoom. to. I found it this morning, and uh, <laughs> all of my Zoom backgrounds this week will be D and D themed. <laughs> nice. I'm excited. I've had a different uh, different theme for the Zoom background every week. I wonder what will get you more love because you said last week was Star Wars. It was. It was. Thanks to uh, StarWars.com, who had a uh, nice link to a bunch of. Uh, Images specifically for Zoom backgrounds. It was very nice. I, I will I will look up Star Trek backgrounds for you. Oh, that's next week, baby. I like it. I like it. Well, speaking of things I like, um, I am a fan of Marvel and all the wonderful things that they do. 
And I'm also a fan of the op because they are some cool people that work there. I've had a chance to meet very many of them and they are all class acts and they uh, are teaming up with Marvel and AEG to make smash up Marvel. (laughs) Nice. I'm very, very oddly excited about this. I think that the smash up formula and the Marvel characters are going to work really well. I think that's actually going to be very interesting. I completely agree, actually. Okay, Jonathan, have you heard of a role-playing game called Kids on Bikes? Uh, yes, I have a copy of it. Have you heard of a, a, a sequel game called Teens in Space? Ooh, interesting. No, I have not heard of this. Ha- well, that is out now, and you can, you can buy it at your leisure. But they, the company has announced the third part in the, the kids-slash-teens of stuff. Kids on Brooms, the totally not Harry Potter RPG. <laughs> I feel like that uh, particular platform is overdue for an RPG. Oh, the Harry Potter-esque RPG? Yeah, yeah. Like That that feels like it It should have happened by now. I, I, I don't... I mean, Harry Potter's everywhere. How did it not get an RPG? The rumor was uh, Wizards had the card game license and they wanted to produce an RPG, but JK would not let them. Huh. Which is odd. I mean, it's not like people aren't running around and doing it anyway. Dude, uh, grown adults are out there playing Quidditch. Do you know that? There's a whole league. Yeah. I don't understand yeah. it. Uh-uh. uh-uh. Hey, man, good on you. Uh, I, I play simulated sports on a video game machine, so really I got no place to speak, you know? <laughs> well, you can speak to uh, go to www.renegadegamestudios.com forward slash kids on brooms and pre-order it today. All right, uh, you in for a little uh, COVID uh, COVID news, coronavirus news? Yay! Give me the coronavirus news, Jonathan. I'm so excited. So Mayday Games, Mayday Games, uh, makers of sleeves and uh, accessories, and uh, even a few games, uh, have switched their production line to produce N95 masks. Nice. I think we talked about that last time. I did, but since the last time, I got a shipment of these N95 masks in, and I can tell you that they are very comfortable and um, well-manufactured and will hold up uh, beyond one usage. So I uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. They are of good quality and readily available. So head on over to MaydayGames.com. I'll share now. <clears throat> the mask I'm currently wearing, uh, my wife sewed together for me out of uh, vacuum bags. And an old bed sheet. Nice. Probably not as styling, <laughs> but it's homemade, so I love it more. Just do a search, uh, a web search for Mayday Games uh, and go check them out. They are uh, uh, good masks to use uh, despite the premature opening of the state of Texas by our idiot governor. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> My mistake. Oh, I thought that I'm was Georgia. Is your is your governor doing it too? Oh, our governor's doing it. He announced it today. He wants us all back out there in the world. I, I don't know how that won't end poorly. <laughs> yeah, the day that he announces it, my county jumped seventy one percent in terms of cases. So yeah, oh yeah, it's time to open. All right. Well, Dungeons and Dragons came out with some information which has been circulating around the internet because of one screw-up they did on it, but uh, I've seen that joke far too many times. Anyway, uh, they released an infograph about the growth and everything about D&D over the last... uh, Oh, you sent this to me. Yes, a history check on D&D in 2019. The best year ever! 
So they figure they got about 40 million fans. They've had six years of growth. They're up 59% of YouTube viewership. 4.3 billion minutes of D&D have been watched on Twitch. The interesting one, the one I, I really thought was fascinating to look at, and this is the graph that, that so many people are sharing on the internet going, har, har, har. I'm making the same joke that like 20 other people are making. They have a pie graph, which is D&D broken down by age. 8 through 12 is 12% of the audience. 13 through 17 is 13%. 18 to 24 is 15. 25 to 29 is 15%. 30 to 34 is 19. 35 to 39 is 15. And the 40, it's supposed to be 40 plus, but they, they, it's just listed as 40 to 45. And then there's like nobody older who plays D&D, which is the joke. It's like, oh, I'm going to die in a couple of years. No, it's just supposed to be 40 plus. But that makes up 11% of the audience. But I was thinking about it. The, that 11% of the audience that is 40 plus, those are probably mostly people who played back like when I was a teenager. And considering that, you know, 89% of the audience is, you know, younger than second edition and a full 40% are 24 and younger is insane. That is that is a lot of people. If it's like millions of people playing D&D, that is a lot of new kids in D&D. I thought it was an interesting breakdown. Also, 39% of the D&D user base are women. 61 male, and it looks like 1% uh, non-binary slash other. So, I like to see those statistics changing over time. That, that makes me happy. I've been, I've been seeing a lot about uh, of the same thing uh, as I've gone to board game conventions over the last two years. The percentages of, of genders representative and age groups representative – uh, are are shifting dramatically in in a real positive way, and it gives me a lot of hope. When Wizards decides to make a setting out of you know a current Magic product or you know that really popular Critical Role thing, they're not pandering. That's the majority of the user base. If they did something old, it would be pandering to you, and <laughs> and pandering kind of implies that you're like trying to get a niche group to like you. It's it's not the niche guys. We're the niche, the old farts, the grognards. We're the niche audience. And you just kind of have to accept that. When you get old, man, pop culture is not for you anymore, necessarily. Oh, There's a lot I'm, of pop culture I'm that's not for me. Reminded that of that every time my children bring up pop culture of any sort. I know. I know. That's why Picard was such a welcome surprise. That show seemed to be designed for my age group. It was really nice. And uh, I forgot what it's like to be catered to like that. <laughs> it's really nice when it happens. But you know what? That's part of getting old. You just kind of have to deal with it and and move on and binge watch old stuff on Netflix, I guess. I don't know. I got nothing. That's my last story. I, I am I'm spent. All right. I've got one more for you. That you stole from me. You stole it. Well, you uh, you and I both uh, have copies of and we have deep deep dove deep dove deep divin dove dove deep dove. I'll go with that. I'm, I'm with you. Deep Dove on the show, the Aliens RPG, and Alien RPG is now getting two brand new products from Freedom League. We are getting a new starter set. This starter set will come with a 104-page rulebook. 48 of those pages will be dedicated to a cinematic scenario called Chariot of the Gods. Chariot of the Gods is separate. Chariot of the Gods is the thing you already own. It's, It's in there. Yeah, it's in the RPG starter set. Yes, yes. So it's not 48 of the pages of that 104-page rulebook. It's a 104-page rulebook and oh, it's the both. Chariot of the Gods is gotcha, a separate gotcha, thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry, I misread yes. this. It's going to come with a huge double-sided map uh, with one side depicting the chartered space in 2183 and the other 
having floor plans for the uh, Chariot of God scenario, and 84 game markers for keeping track of characters, motion tracker pings, and a whole lot more. Uh, it's even going to come with cards for the weapons and personal agendas and all that fun stuff. So that is a heck of a bargain, especially when you wrap it all up, $49.99. That's a pretty darn good deal, uh, especially since it comes with uh, comes with base dice. Uh, 20 dice are in there. Yes. Yeah, the dice and the map pack and the tokens and, and the whatnot are, are yeah. pretty sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's that's a, that's a whole lot of game for forty nine ninety nine. I'm throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. Next up, we're going, getting a new cinematic module, the Destroyer of Worlds. It's a complete cinematic scenario from sci-fi novelist Andrew E. C. Gaska, where you'll be put, taking the roles of colonial marines. The scenario is designed for three to five players, and of course, a game mother. And it's a gauntlet of one hell after another. End quote. And you forgot the best part. It is is it's colonial marines based. I, I said that. I was not paying attention because I was looking at art. Fair. The cool thing is it's a box set. It comes with the Destroyer of World scenario book, a double sided map, a five pre-gen, pre-gen characters to play, custom cards for kit for weapons, vehicles, and personal agendas, and of course player maps and handouts. I mean, it's a little bit of everything. Minus, of course, the core rulebook. This assumes you have the core rulebook, but because the core rulebook's not in there and there's no dice, only twenty nine ninety nine. That's pretty dope. Yeah, and it's a cinematic scenario, so it's kind of designed to be played over, maybe not necessarily a one shot, but it's shorter, like you know, maybe three game sessions tops. So you're you're going to be burning through a lot of that, co- that content really quick. But you know, you've got all the the cool stuff because uh, I don't think we got into it in the review, but the uh, the game itself uses make. It, it suggests this use of maps and tokens to track like aliens and sleeping aliens and, and whatnot. Also, it's a cinematic scenario, so you the characters might not survive it. Like like there will be death, so much death, <laughs> which I am down for. Okay, so one last PSA: buy buy stuff from your FLGS. They get curbside pickup. Yes, I did curbside pickup at my FLGS recently and picked up a copy of Cryptid, and of course my little GIF. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think I was done, did you? You didn't think I wasn't going to work at May again, did you? <laughs> yes, curbside pickup got me Reginald von Hippopotam. Nice. But enough about Reginald. That brings us to the end of the news, but not the end of the segment, because now it is time for No Time to Bond. Welcome to part 10 of our 29-part series. Just about a third of the way through, a little over a third uh, of our series No Time to Bond, where we are watching the 007 movies in order of release date. And we are now in perhaps the greatest year ever known to mankind. We are watching The Spy Who Loved Me, released on July 7th, 1977. Made for $13.5 million. Great damn year. Made for uh, $13.5 million, which is a significant increase over the previous ones. And Actually, man, it's the highest budget see. we've had so far. Yes, you do. And it made $185.4 million in 1977 money. Man, that's um, like a 10 to 1 return. That's not bad. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, I, I think it's kind of notable. Oh, it was directed by a dude named Lewis Gilbert who returned to the 00 franchise after he did uh, You Only Live Twice, the fifth Bond movie with Sean Connery, the problematic one that took place in Japan, Ooh, which had ninjas. Ooh, yeah, that was... Uh, Thankfully... Left the racism behind. Mostly, yes, yes. 
Oh, and I, I do want to point this out before we get going. Uh, apparently, there was some weird licensing issue where they could use the titles of some of the Bond uh, books, but they could not use the plots of all of them. And The Spy Who Loved Me is one of them. So the plot of the book and this movie bear no resemblance to each other. <laughs> uh, just beyond the title. <clears throat> no, no. Licensing is, is a strange, strange beast. Oh, also, this movie had a lot of development problems. That's why there was like a three-year gap between them. Uh, Harry Saltzman left the company. Uh, numerous script rewrites. And just getting a director proved to be a big problem. Um, so, yeah. But that said, Good. I feel like the movie kind of came out okay. Like, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I I, I was surprised. It's, it's <clears> by far the, the least had- problematic of all of the films that we've seen so far. Although it is also the randiest. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, so the beginning is just people sleeping together. Well, and, and, <laughs> and aside from that, we're way past double entendre now. We're, now, now it's just puns. We're, we're into just <laughs> straight puns. So uh, the plot of the movie is uh, Bond teams up with a Russian agent named uh, Codename Triple X. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. And uh, and they go on Take a mission that, together. Vin Diesel, to fu- you, you can't have that anymore. <laughs> and they go on a mission to find out why uh, American and English and Russian subs are disappearing and why a madman is trying to start World War Three so he can begin a new society under the sea. Under the sea. So basically, uh, it's Andrew Ryan from Bioshock. Yes, yeah. not Yeah, actually, yes. In, in a lot of different ways, it's Andrew Ryan from Bioshock. Yes, yes. There are two things I noticed about this movie, and I want to talk about both of them. First one, first topic of discussion. I oddly liked Agent Triple X for nearly half the movie. She presented herself as a fairly capable agent, oh, and no less. hugely competent, and... and, and- in charge of her uh, her life. And and got the drop on 007 quite a few yeah. times. Like yeah. And, and legitimately, not not for silly reasons. And and it was not to say that James was a uh passenger in his own movie, because he's he's highly competent in this one as well. He's I just agree. showing two two agents at the top of their game. Like last time we mentioned with uh with Goodnight about how Bond hanging out with incompetent people doesn't make him competent, it just makes him not dumb. And this one <laughs> Oh, good night. But this one, like Triple X was like actually kind of a worthy adversary for him or foil because I I guess they were on the same side. So maybe it's foil. But regardless, um, yes, having Bond surrounded by people who know what they're doing and are competent makes Bond also seem competent. See? See Bond movie? Like they finally bought that clue. It took them 10 films. Well, not not only that, but not only is she competent and and it makes it more interesting, but – the the triangle between Bond and her and her former lover is genuinely interesting and adds some good tension to the movie. And, and then she just sleeps with him and forgets about him at the end. But, you know, we won't. Well, that's when it all falls apart. But, uh, you know, this was a big step in the right direction for Bond movies. Yes. And like I said, she was fairly competent for the first half of the movie. In the second half, she was kind of an appendage to get kidnapped and not really pay attention to, which was a little disappointing. But the, the first half of the movie, yeah, her characterization was like pretty decent, even if her name was silly. Agent Triple X. <laughs> the, the name was the worst part of the movie, frankly. <laughs> Tell Bond to pull out. 
<laughs> oh, but we're about to have the next one where it's uh, attempting re-entry, if you know what I mean. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> gonna... But that's next time. Let's that's stick to Spy Who Loved Me for now. Uh, the other thing I want to point out is the plots of uh, <clears throat> Lewis Gilbert's movies are oddly interconnected. So, okay, think back to uh, You Only Live Twice. The finale, big giant base in a big giant fantastic set with monorails, no less. Uh, yeah, yeah, check, check, and check. Keep going. Uh, the bad guys hide themselves in a control room that gets closed with giant metal shutters. Uh, check and check. Yeah, and then Bond rescues a bunch of soldiers that have been kidnapped by the villain to go storm the base and take it back over. And check, check, and one last check. We are 100% the same. Yes, and then just to throw future shade, uh, the plot of this one and the plot of Moonraker are near identical because they're both about madmen who want to destroy the world to rebuild society in their own image. Just one of them's doing it under the sea and one of them's doing it in space. <laughs> but, but that's for next. that's for the next episode. Uh, yeah, it's funny. It's funny how well this movie worked, even though it was copying a lot from previous films. But it's so much um, better than that previous film. I, I, that's I, true. Which is, you but, know, and, and, and especially given the production problems, that it really is a testament uh, to the writers because they, they brought something forth that was good, genuinely good, and far beyond the, the, the schlock of the previous movies. And and Bond wasn't proving himself a tough guy by beating up women and children. I mean, yeah, it was, and, and he shot people. Yes, you know, <laughs> Bond is downright um, like ruthless at some points, like uh, almost to the point of Daniel Craig. To be honest, I mean, like he is a ruthless assassin, and he he, oh, he earns that badge. And I really, really loved the set at the end, the big set piece, because that set was gigantic. Oh my god, yeah, it, it was. had water. It was it was huge. And I, I and it and it and the water had to be deep because like you saw people crawling out of that submarine. I mean, it extended underwater. Yeah, it was bizarre. And and I, we were watching it, and uh, my daughter was there at the time at that point. And I was just I was just saying to her, I'm like, look at that set, and she's like, what's so cool about that set? I'm like, that set's real. Like they built that. Yeah, no no, no green like, screens. Yeah, no green screens, and they had like hundreds of extras, hundreds. <laughs> it was it was rad. Like they just don't make movies like that anymore. It was it was really nice to see. No. Like, and you, you, yeah, sometimes you forget. You see that big budget. I mean, you see that flexing budget in this film. Mm-hmm. It cost a lot more than the previous ones, but my goodness, do you see that on screen? Some of the effect sequences are really, really good too. Like the the whole underwater lotus was awesome. <laughs> the submarine that that car. like that is a legitimately fun sequence. Like just legitimately fun. Uh, as somebody who is heavy into aviation. The 70s were a different time for helicopter stunts because, oh, my God, that's not legal. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> All the hovering like six feet over the crowd. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, just, I mean, the skill of that pilot, first of all. But second of all, just the extreme danger the entire crew was put in. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, you wouldn't do that anymore. It, it would just all be CG, which, you know, I mean. Not that I want people to die, because I, I am well aware of that horrible helicopter accident in Twilight Zone, which gave us all those laws. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, but you man, know what? Just, there is something. Instead about of the doing a CG of it. helicopter, why don't you just shoot a real helicopter and then composite it? You know, because yeah. we could tell. I'm sorry, we can tell. I was watching Bosch or, or, earlier today, and they they used real shots of a helicopter, except for one, because they were trying to make a point of something by having it reflect in a window, and all of a sudden the rotors didn't look right, like. We've all seen helicopters. We know what it looks like. 
and we know what it's not supposed to look like. And when you see that, you're just like, oh, wow, that is super fake. That is not okay. That's a bad effect. Or or you could just hang a real helicopter off of a crane and then just, you know, edit out the crane and add in rotors and post. Yeah. Any number of things. Just it's it's just it's it, it, you can tell when it's real. Yeah, the physicality makes it much better. I, I Well, OK, we're getting on modern effects, which that's the corridor crew's job, not ours. I was pleasantly surprised at this film. It, it It's still not like I don't think it, it's the best one we've watched so far. I'll, I'll definitely give it that. It, you, remembering the time period as well. It is a really, really good movie for the time period. I, I am actually going to go out on a limb. I think it's better than Goldfinger. Oh, no, totally. Goldfinger, I agree. One hundred percent. Yeah, because Bond had that problem in Goldfinger where he was just sort of along for the ride <laughs> and he wasn't really doing anything. And this one, Bond, again, Bond is, this is like the first film where Bond was actually proactive. Like he, when he went to Russia and was like trying to figure out who to meet and yeah. where they were. Not only proactive, but he's he's vicious at times. Just downright vicious. He is an assassin. And also, I think this is the first movie where they actually went to like some place that wasn't Europe or Asia, which... You know, because I, I think he went to Morocco or something in, in one of the other movies, but that was obviously a, a set. But No, this this was shot on, on location in Egypt. Yeah, and it showed. It was really nice. And it had the first appearance of Jaws, which, oh, man. <laughs> I, oh, I will say this. Films. I will say this. And this is, this is a, a 1970s filmmaking problem. I don't care how big and tall and strong you are. I'm not just going to stand there for 45 seconds while you slowly open your mouth and come down at my neck. I'm going to struggle. I'm just saying. <laughs> like that whole sequence where he kills the first guy and even the second guy and even somewhat the shark with his mouth each one of those is like are, are we gonna move because i feel like i, I would move like I, I know my death is coming <laughs> but i'm still gonna try and squirm away you know <laughs> it was st- it was so goofy but-, but but instead the guy just stands there with a shocked look on his face then the camera cuts back to, to jaws and his and his mouth opens about a quarter of the way then back to the guy and now he's just still got that exact same look on his face, except he's trying to shrink away a little bit. And then back to Jaws, and then back to the guy, and then back to Jaws. And it's like, okay, I get it. His mouth is metal. Can we move it along? Yeah. Oh, it was good, though. I like... But, uh, no, strong, stronger female villain. character. Oh, yeah, he is. But this, this movie was great. It had some stronger female characters. I'm not saying it was perfect. No. But compared to everything else that we've seen and taking into account yes. that it's 1977... These, I won't even take into account it's 1977. It just it did have a stronger female character. Yeah, like it, it had a couple Agent of Triple X by far. Yeah. Yes. Um, because the uh, the Stromberg's assistant lady from the beginning, she's she's I mean a very realistic person. She's caught in a bad situation. She knows it. She tries to get out of it, and it, it backfires on her. The villain as well, Stromberg. I really enjoyed the villain in this movie because. Again, he's not just sitting there spouting out his plan to everyone and everything. He just gets to the business of killing his rivals. Yeah, and I like how Bond just, like, murders the hell out of him. Oh, my God. Like, that's the most brutal supervillain death that we've seen so far out of a Bond movie. Yeah, because he shot him multiple times. He shot him, probably a deadly shot at that point, but then he shot him another three times just to make damn sure. And that's, that's the thing I really liked about Bond in this movie as a whole. He is vicious. Like like I said, he's not afraid of, of showing that he is an assassin and that that's a part of his job that he doesn't shy away from. And and that's something they have shied away from in previous movies. You know what my favorite part was? How Bond uh, brought out his futuristic sci-fi equipment known as the wet bike, later marketed <laughs> as a jet ski. Uh, yes. That was the first appearance of a jet ski on film. You know that? I did not realize that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That was high tech at the time. Mostly due to this movie and, and then some, they, they called it a jet bike at the time, but yes, 
or a wet bike, I should say. But yes, they uh, this movie popularized the jet ski, and now they're everywhere. Have you ever ridden on one? <laughs> no, I have not. My God, they are about the most fun that you can have. They are stupid fun. Cool. Yeah, I, I probably should before I die. but Oh, I highly suggest it. Highly, highly uh, suggest I don't know it. when I'm going to get a chance to do that. At least this summer. Ah! <laughs> well, uh, before we wrap this up, I'd just like to throw a quick shout out. Little uh, four pound, three ounce, six month uh, in the womb. Little baby Jonathan, 1977 July. Looking at you, baby. Looking at you. You're looking good. You're looking good. So what's next? Uh, next is, uh, the next movie in the series is Moonraker. Oh, I thought it was The Spy Who Loved Me. In space! <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Moonraker oh, is. <laughs> Moonraker falls back on some, on some bad tropes, like the more movies being very unsure of themselves, because it just becomes Star Wars out of nowhere. <laughs> well, again, I think that's also a function of the time. Because Spy yeah. Who Loved Me came out the same year that Star Wars came out. And, of course, they're going to say, oh, well, that other movie did did really well, too. So let's just take all those things and smash them together. Call it a day. Yeah, but, you know, we've now had three more movies where one was riffing on black exploitation. The second one had a lot of kung fu elements. Then they did a good one, and then they fell back on the idea of, oh, we'll just make a sci-fi one because sci-fi is popular right now. And it's like, no, like, The Spy Loved Me was good. Like, do more of that. Don't, like, copy other people's garbage. Like, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that brings us to the end of the No Time to Bond segment, which, of course, means it is now time for A Year in the Life, where we look at what we deep dove a year ago, and we talk about it again. Forgot My Dice, episode 62, International House of Beef Slab. <laughs> we were playing the board game Hellboy, the board game. God, has it been a year already? Uh-huh. Jeez, that goes quick. Mm-hmm. I need to play more Hellboy because I got my expansions now, too. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> what is so funny? I'm looking over the show notes, and one of the show notes is that picture of Jason Momoa. This is the picture of Jason Momoa after he shaved his beard for some reason, and my wife <laughs> said... My wife made the crack of, that is what uh, what a... That's what she imagines old, young Steven Seagal looked like. <laughs> Man, what else were we doing? You were watching Star Trek Enterprise. I was watching Veronica Mars the movie. Wow, we just finished that up. Oh, and Zima Blue. Wow. Yeah, man. God, it's been a year. It feels like it's been 20 years. Yeah, well, I mean, hell, man. The last three months feel like they've been 20 years. Who are we kidding? <laughs> oh, Settlers of Catan on the Switch? It's on the Switch? That's cool. I should check out the board games. Yeah, so the the Switch architecture is basically a cell phone. It uses an ARM processor, which means that you can take all those games that people are putting out on phones and port them over to the Switch very quickly and very easily. That would make sense because there's a lot of them. Yeah, that's why you see like Civ 6 is on there and stuff like that. It's not even on the big consoles yet. And that's simply because they can take the mobile version that they already made and just bring it on over. The more you know. Na, 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 na. Oh, I was pl- God, I still haven't taken Potion Explosion off the shelf. I need to do that. Dude, you gotta get on that. That's so good. I love the, yeah. playing the physical version of that game. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. 
Well, that brings us to the end of our Year in Life segment, which means it is time for another quick break. And when we return, we will be deep diving something for all your quarantine needs. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by hitting us up at one of the following. You can join us on Patreon, where we post bonus content. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash FMD podcast. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Lastly, for those of you seeking experiences beyond our concepts of pleasure and pain, set the Lamont configuration to full hell mode. Oddly, you can find us in several levels of the labyrinth as the only thing playing on the radio. Wait, what? I have such sights to show you, Jonathan. Ah, I need to take your Netflix account away from you. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And on today's deep dive, we're doing something a little different. We are uh, acknowledging the crazy weird times that we live in. And we are going to be deep diving, instead of just one game, a system to bring many games out. And that is Tabletop Simulator, which is available on Steam for very little money and has a ton of available content for it, ranging from $10 to nothing. So, yeah, in Tabletop Simulator, it very frequently has sales where it's half off. Honestly, I think the next time it goes on sale, I'm going to buy the four-pack for half off, and so I can give it to my the majority of my D&D crew, because I, I, I'm thinking I may want to use this for D&D, because it can handle miniatures combat the way I want to actually play miniatures combat, which is a little bit 3D and silly, but... Yeah, that's that's one of the hardships I was finding. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm getting ahead. I'm getting ahead. Point is, you can get it half off a lot, although not right now, I checked. Uh, Tabletop Simulator is the only simulator where you can let your aggression out by flipping the table. There are no rules to follow, just you, a physics sandbox, and your friends. Make your own games and play how you want. Unlimited gaming possibilities is their ad copy. I did like the full like Dave Chappelle doing prints like starburst fingers around my head. As I said, unlimited gaming possibilities. I want you to know that because that that is how this plays out. Because you're Rick James. Ah, no, I'm Prince. I'm Prince. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but (laughs) that's good. Didn't have nearly as many quotables as the Rick James one. (laughs) How about your crew versus me and the revolution? Uh, all right. How do you want to begin? I was kind of struggling with this and then I was homeschooling, so I didn't give it much more thought. So I figured we'd just do it like our, our normal system of questions. So we would talk a bit about how tabletop simulator plays in the sense of how it does its stuff. <laughs> uh, last night we played, uh, Bob Ross, the art of chill with, uh, Ray and Brendan, which was pretty rad because I, I forget where Brendan lives. But Ray's Chicago. in Chicago. Okay. So we're playing in like Pennsylvania, Chicago, Austin, Texas, and Portland. Like that's every time zone in the United States. And it worked great. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is, you had, well, okay. So how, how do you want to approach this? You want, so you say kind of like that. Well, let, let, let's talk about, okay, well, let's talk about how it plays. So tabletop simulator is, it's a video game because it's, it's got 3d elements. It's not like roll 20 or the other like D and D board gaming things where it's all flat. This actually gives you like a 3d representation of a table. And when they say it has a physics engine, it means you can actually pick up dice on this table and chuck them and it will roll dice, which is fun as hell. And, uh, and yeah, like the board game components are physically there on the virtual table, I guess. No, absolutely. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, when, when, 
when you call it a tabletop simulator, that is exactly what it is. It is a tabletop in a virtual form. It's a 3D model that you can rotate around and do all kinds of fun stuff. And every aspect of the game, uh, from decks of cards to dice to componentry to everything that you could possibly want to make that game a reality in this 3D space, uh, is represented on that tabletop. And you can interact with it. And there's a, a fair amount of just base functionality built in, like the ability to, to group cards up and to shuffle them and to flip them over and stuff like that. Um, but depending on who manufactures the module, there's also a lot of scripting that can be done to help the game run just like you would expect it to run, um, if, if not a little easier, because the setup is is all virtual and, and instantaneous, um, to, to run just like it would in uh, real life. It's worth noting that uh, 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 Stonemaier Games has done a lot of stuff with it where you can buy tabletop simulator versions of their games like Wingspan, I know, is on it and a couple other things. Uh, Wingspan, Scythe, and I believe uh, Between Two Cities is. And uh, But those are like legit buy it. It's DLC. It's it's all official. And, you know, it's supported. <laughs> so every time they update the game, they kind of like have to update it and, you know, fix it if it breaks. And uh, yeah, like a lot of that functionality, you know, is is built into those games. But it's also on the Steam Workshop. So people can just, you know, make stuff. And I don't know if that counts as pirating or not. Um, but uh, yeah, you can definitely get a lot of games. They also, I, I've been going deeply into uh, the, the D&D aspects of it. And I, it is going to be a dangerous, dangerous thing once I figure out how to compile a bunch of the various things I've downloaded into one thing. So I can just have all this D and D stuff ready to go whenever I want it. But, um, yeah, they've got like 3d map tiles that you can make dungeon rooms in like the way I used to play. Like I've got all these pictures when I was running shackled city of, you know, using my, my dungeon tiles I got off of Kickstarter to make rooms for them to explore. And usually it was just due to do combats in, but yeah, I mean, you can definitely use it for that too. Um, the, the D and D table I downloaded also has a way that you can insert a picture onto the board, which will, uh, be a map and you can resize it. So it, you know, it has a hex grid and, and um, you could even have your character sheets available to all the players where you could like, they could physic physically, they could virtually like look down and see their character sheets. Like it's, it, it is a, a tabletop simulator from a to Z. It's, it's really fascinating. Like I, I like, I like the tactileness of it, you know, because it, it's the next best thing to being in the same room with all these people, which is what I really like yeah. about it. And it does the thing I've wanted out of, uh, for, for me, for D&D, I wanted something where we could pick up and move figures around. And it wasn't about the rules. It was just about the, the experience. And I really like the experience. Like, I, I'm really jonesing to sit around a table with my Austin buddies because I moved away from them like a fool and, uh, and play D&D again with our miniatures and stuff. And this gives me the opportunity to do that. It gives me the ability to do that, which is real nice. Well, because what they, what they focused on was not trying to recreate a game. Instead, what they focused on was trying to recreate the actions that make a board game playable yeah. in real life. Physics, flipping cards, shuffling cards, stacking cubes, stacking this, stacking that. They focused on that. So it's an open framework that you can put your own game into. And a lot of the games that are available on Steam are, are games that are currently on Kickstarter and they release this as a freebie so that people can, can whet their appetites on it and stuff like that. Uh, your mileage is going to vary depending on how people have implemented it. But my experience so far with the, the several different games, actually about 15 now, 
is that the the implementation is generally pretty darn good. And as long as you know how to play the game, you're going to get the exact same experience that you do at a tabletop with the added bonus of being able to play in quarantine with people uh, around the country that uh, you might not normally get a chance to sit and play a game with. Yeah, we found Fury or uh, yeah, the Fury of Dracula on it. And I I miss playing that with you guys. We should we should do a foursome Brendan Ray. Oh, yeah. I'm so down. I'm so down. Ray. I believe uh that was legal obligation for you to set that up. <laughs> yeah, and like I said hey, man, when it, it worked one time. When right? it when it gets 50% off, the four pack basically becomes 750 a game. And uh like I said, I'm I'm really thinking about getting that cuz I I would like uh, I'd like my wife to have a copy so she could like you know play too, and uh, and yeah, just my the other people in my D and D crew like it'd be really nice just to have them around, and that's the beauty of it. Like Gina and I, you know, when we play D and D virtually, we're typically in the same room, and she's around. If we were running a combat, we wouldn't even necessarily both have to have keys or have the game open because you know I I could just manipulate her miniature for her. You know, it's like it's like the real table. You know, when somebody says, "Oh, move me next to the, that goblin." You know, because it's I don't want to reach across the table. I'm eating Doritos or whatever. You know, it it allows you to do that. So yeah, I, I I'm I'm pleased as punch with this, and I really want to. I have not explored it enough. I need to get better at it because I I I think I've found the thing I want to run D and D with. So okay, let's move on to the next one. Which uh, the normal question is, how is that rule book? Um, I have found a lot of videos online talking about how to run it, which you know your mileage may vary. You know, there's a built-in tutorial as well, right? Yeah, which I accidentally turned off because, like, do you want to run the tutorial? And I'm like, no, not now. And then I couldn't find the button again. <laughs> there's some hotkeys I wish I knew. Um, like, when I was sitting down with Ray, Ray was telling me about a lot of the hotkeys. And I'm like, oh, man, I just need these written down and, like, pasted to the side of my um, side of my computer so I can just have them handy. But yeah, actually sitting down and playing that game with Ray, because Ray is very familiar with the program and him just telling us what to do. I wouldn't say it's like super duper intuitive, um, but it's not bad. And I was I was getting what I need to get out of it. Like, you know, it's like, oh, click on this thing and you can draw blindly from the you can top deck by clicking draw or you can blah, 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 blah. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's got it all in there. It's just, yeah, the um, there, there's no owner's manual that I've been able to find, and I haven't looked very hard. But yeah, I mean, it, how's the tutorial? I'm assuming you went through it. Yeah, the tutorial runs you through the basics, you know, like moving car, uh, elements, stacking elements, uh, grouping cards, shuffling cards, flipping cards, uh, basically everything that you need to get started. The more you explore it, the more you're going to learn. And there are a ton of keyboard shortcuts. But for the most part, every time I've needed to do something, it's been easy for me to find the answer what was really nice. And when I say it's a, like a tactile experience, I mean, it, it, it is, um, when we were playing last night, Brendan said, Oh, Hey, look at this. Um, if you do the sequence of events, correct, you can drop a dice and then pick up a, a card and the, uh, the dice will fall through the card because of, you know, scripting things, I'm sure. But like, I, it was really nice because it, it, it did have that like version of physicality, you know, he's like, here, I'm picking up this thing and doing something weird lo- with it. Look at it. And it's like that you, you do that at the table, you know? It's like, oh, this component's weird or, you know what I mean? Like, like just having that ability to do something was really nice. Like, I forgot how much I like that. It really made me jones to sit around a table and play board games again. I, I forgot how nice that is. Well, one of the problems, I think, with digital board games is that they forget to be a board game. They, they end up feeling more like a video game. Yeah. Uh, one of the ones that manages to not do that is, uh, is Takedo, because Takedo 
gives you enough that you always feel like you're playing a board game and it doesn't feel like a video game. But several other games that have made the transition end up feeling more like a video game than a board game. And that's not what I'm looking for, I guess you could say. It's it's nice to have, but in at no time does this game not feel like a board game. Because like you said, it's got that that tactile nature to it. You're always interacting with it. And you're interacting with it the same way that you would expect to, I guess, is the big thing, the big takeaway. Is is that clunky? Yes, yes. Like the uh, like potion explosion. Like I found a, a version of potion explosion on on the Steam Workshop. Um, I have the app, and and the app does everything for you. But like having the physicality of you know the marbles actually rolling and actually pulling cards and putting them in your hand and looking at them, like that that's not replicated in that app. That is just sort of all done for you. And and the art style itself is kind of flat and you know video gamey. And this is like three dimensional. And yeah, it's just there's. There's something to it. There's something about the clunkiness that gives you the experience, you know, because like otherwise we would just play board games on an iPad and pass it around. But you don't want to do that. You know, part of it is sitting there and interacting with it. I guess that's like, yeah, that's the magic they captured. You know, it's the actual physical interacting of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Roll20 and and uh, some of those other programs like you can you can script everything and you can just like click on your weapon and it'll roll and tell you the damage and all that. But like, yeah, actually picking up dice on the table and rolling them and then everybody gets to see the dice roll, you know, like there's something to that, you know, that anticipation of, Oh, did he make the roll or, or did you make the roll? And just having a little thing on the side where it's like roll D 20 plus five, like that's, you know, it's not the same thing, you know, like I, I really like that the dice were there. Like I forgot how much I missed seeing not, dice. Not only that the dice were there, but they interact with everything else on the table. So, like in the Bob Ross game, when we would toss the dice, they would bounce off of other elements in the table just like they would in real life. And having that sense of normality and and realism, it makes a big difference to trigger whatever it is about a board game that makes it so different than a video game that that gives you that that physical interaction. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about the components. So. Your mileage way varies on components. Um, a lot of the games are from the Steam Workshop. And so it's basically how well that person can, you know, make a 3D model. Um, I've seen it so many ways. Um, the uh, I, You guys were playing Gloomhaven. And the, the Gloomhaven module actually has 3D models. Like, they're, they're polygonal and, and everything. I've seen others uh, where they just take a, a 2d picture of it and just sort of like put it on top, like a, like a gaming pawn, uh, that, that Paizo does for D and D, you know, where the it's, so it's just a piece with like a picture kind of sticking out of it. Yeah. And then like, e- even in the Bob Ross game, it wasn't perfect because one of the components in the Bob Ross game is you get these cubes that you're supposed to put on, uh, on the, the score tracker, uh, to show who scored what early. Cause you get more points if you score things early. And, uh, this game didn't have it instead it used dice. And it was a little confusing cause Ray was playing yellow and I was playing red, but both of our dice were red for some reason, because you know, whoever made it just screwed up and didn't make it raise dice yellow and the dice, you know, weren't like the cubes, like they, they weren't exactly the right size for the board. So we were having problems like getting them to sit right, <laughs> which was kind of funny. You'd be like trying to put your cube on and you'd end up like putting your dice just on the tip of the other thing. It would fall off and you, it was a little janky. I'm assuming I didn't play any of the games that were actually DLC. I would assume, I would hope that those games have a lot of that sorted out, but you know, your game may not have an official DLC in which case you're sort of at the mercy of whoever made it. And yes, your mileage will vary on the air quotes components (laughs) of it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's really going to de- de- depend on the developer. And, and that goes for, for paid stuff as well as free stuff. That said, I think we've talked a lot about the physicality and the 3D stuff of it. So in that sense, they, they get the component part right. So there you go. Our next question is usually, is anything off in the execution? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a computer program. It's, it's, it's got some jank to it, like, you know, teleporting dice through cards if you pick them up the right way and, and all of that. And, and, you know, things not exactly lining up in, in some people's stuff. I mean, that, that is a off in the execution. But I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily a flaw of the, the system itself. It's just a flaw of whoever made the version of that game. I can't think of anything I don't like about it besides it's a little obtuse. It, it, like anything, it, it has a learning yeah. curve. And that, that learning curve is going to be kind of dependent on where you sit on the spectrum of comfort with a PC game. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Because because those of us who have played a lot of real-time strategy games and th- stuff like that on a PC, we're so very used to keyboard commands. And so within five minutes of my first game, I had cataloged about a dozen commands that, that I was using pretty regularly, and it wasn't a big deal. Uh, but I'm also used to that from from playing a lot of computer games. If you're not used to that, then uh, your your mileage may vary. Yeah, and I'll say this: um, it gave me that weird board gaming experience where you know, like you get a new board game and you watch a video of it, but it, it's it's always better to have someone at the table like teaching you how to play. And I sort of knew how to play Bob Ross, but I got that experience again as Ray was you know teaching us the ins and outs of you know, oh, press this, oh, do that, you know. And it wasn't like anything wasn't terribly intuitive, you know. It was a lot of like right clicks and. Some games, especially games made by smaller developers, sometimes they put like a few too many button clicks between you and what you want to do. Uh, and this game certainly didn't have that problem that I encountered. You know, it was just knowing which menu and like, like one of the yeah. weird things was like we had a stack of cards. Um, and if you clicked on it, you would pick up the whole deck. But if you sort of like clicked on it and sort of like moved it, you would grab the card off the top of the deck. Yeah, if you if you click and if you click and drag right away, it picks up a single card. If you click and hold, then it picks up the whole deck. Yeah, yeah. And and that was that was a little weird. <laughs> but I don't know if that's off in the execution because yeah, it's it's it, it kind of mimicked your hand. I don't know. It was weird, but like not knowing that was was odd. And I I I like I said I didn't play the tutorial because I accidentally closed it on my first time through. Because I just wanted to check well, the, it out real the, quick, and I couldn't find it again. The configuration uh, in the game is is completely customizable. So if the controls aren't the way you like them, you can always customize them, and it it, it walks you through and shall, shows you basically everything that you possibly could could need to interface with. And the the nice thing is that because this is an engine and not an individual game, your your skills that you pick up playing one game are going to transfer to every other game you play. Because what you're dealing, what you're learning is is how to interact with objects on the table, essentially. All right, Jonathan. So, if you had one last thing to say about Tabletop Simulator, what would it be? Uh, I think that when you combine the price point of the simulator, uh, the availability of games, uh, and the experience that it gives you, this is an amazing bargain. I mean, truly an amazing bargain. And then when you factor in the ability to play on the internet and how stable it is, and just what a seamless environment it felt like. I mean, short of a video, when the four of us were playing last night, it felt like I was at the table with my buddies because we were, you know, shooting the nonsense back and forth, talking about our lives, talking about our families, nudging each other when it was somebody else's turn. And it felt like I was playing a board game with my buddies. I was stroking your hand for a while. You are, you are. Your, your, your mouse hand and my mouse hand held each other tenderly 
deep into the night. And then we wrote obscene messages to each other. <laughs> yes. Yes. I control myself. I did not draw a penis on your side of the board. That totally happened when we were using Roll20 the other day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my thing, to expand on it, my thing is uh, the problem I've been having with Roll20 and other things of that ilk to play D&D is um, maybe not freemium, but they have like, you can play it for free, but... Uh, if you get the subscription, you get better stuff. I've always kind of chafed under that because I, I really fall prey to the thing of like, what am I missing out on? And it kind of pisses me off if I think I'm missing out on something that would make my experience better or whatnot. And what I liked about Tabletop Simulator is you're right. It's it's upfront. It is, you know, 20 bucks normally, 10 bucks when it's on sale, which happens frequently enough that just wait until it's on sale. We'll We'll bring it up next time we spot it. And you're done, you know, and unless you want to get like Wingspan or one of the, the official DLC games, you know, you're done. And even if you get Wingspan or one of the official DLC games, like you're, you're done when you buy it. You know, you don't have to worry about your subscription running out and then suddenly you don't have access to your stuff or the, a game you want to play. It's just there as long as the company's around, I guess. I really like that aspect of it. I like that it's, it's an upfront purchase. You know what you're going to get. And anything beyond that is just sort of, you know, what you find in the Steam work- Workshop is gravy. Have you seen the Dungeon Drop uh, DLC, by the way? No, I have not. Uh, it's uh, all the components you need uh, in a, for a lightweight dungeon crawler for one to four players. Huh. I really want to play Fury of Dracula with you guys. I miss playing that game. I Anytime, bud. Anytime you want. <laughs> What's my other favorite board game? I like Fury of Dracula. Oh, you know it would be really nice, although it would be really hard? I would love to play Mansions of Madness somehow on this game, but they don't have second edition. I don't know how, you, how you'd make that work. Because you need the app oh, there. Somebody put Undaunted in here, mm. which uh, is a game that I've not been able to find a physical copy of, which is really neat. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive. Even if this weren't 2020 and we weren't suffering from a, a, a virus, I would uh, recommend Tabletop Simulator. But I think given everything, this is a solid recommend for me. Like, I can't push it hard, hard, uh, hard enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's worth every penny. Agreed. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which means we are currently at the end of our episode once again, the end of episode 86. Counting down, buddy. Yeah, yeah, 14 till 100 in our AMA. 13, because we're at the end of this sucker. Yes. (laughs) So, uh, join us again in two weeks uh, when we return with another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Um, as always, at the end of the episode, join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you, and uh, we would love it, actually, if you joined us in our virtual tabletop uh, on Tabletop Simulator, because that was super fun. We sat down with two guys that listened to the show and had a blast. So join us and, and come chat with us. Word. As always, Robert, any final words? So, Aeon... I mentioned that they're psychics, but the other thing, it's in the same continuity as their previous games, uh, Adventure and Aberrant. So Adventure takes place in the 1920s, and you play pulp heroes like Doc Savage and stuff, punching Nazis. Aberrant is a superhero game, like full-on, like flying through the sky, you know, Superman-style superheroes. And so Trinity is a space opera where you play psychics, and the main antagonists of it are basically like Brotherhood of Evil Mutants super villains that occasionally come back and attack Earth, which is just, it's such a bizarre mix, but I love it so much, Jonathan. And you know what? The original game, have you ever seen Sam Neill's, well, I, he's not even a main character in it, but it's a movie he did a long time ago called uh, At the End of the World. I, no, I have not. I've heard of it, though. You're not the first person to mention it. Yeah, yeah. Trinity, that was, there was a list of movies in it that said, go see these movies. 
for that Trinity vibe. And, and when I was younger, when I was a younger man, I actually went down that list and I saw it at the end of the world. And I really want to watch that movie again now because I'm reading Trinity again. And I remember I, it was a, <clears throat> it was a bizarre movie. And I remember like 20 year old me liked it, but didn't like, I think, I think 40 year old Robert could appreciate that movie a lot more. Cause it's kind of a, it, it's a slow, pretentious sci-fi film, but it's an Australian slow, pretentious <laughs> sci-fi film. So yeah, maybe we should make that some some recommended viewing for us. We got to get through the uh, other twenty plus movies that we we currently have in our our queue. Oh come on, man! We could we could throw in another random movie. Let's see, where's it streaming? Now I want to see this movie again. Now I'm excited. <gasps> Is it on Prime? Ah, available you know for what somebody made on Tabletop Simulator. They took Zombicide and repackaged it with Warhammer 40k character. That makes sense. That sounds dope. All right, I'm going to go to work on this. I'm going to find this movie at the end of the world again. I'm sure my library has it, but that doesn't help me right now. All right, but I'll watch it. If you can find it at the stream of it, I'll watch it. <laughs> Anything else? No, that was it, man. At the end of the world. Well, then there's only one last thing to say, Robert, and that is party on, Robert. Uh, party on, Jonathan. Wait, it may not be called at the end of the world. Damn it, now i got to go through Sam Neill's entire IMDb. Until the end of the world. Until... Until the end of the world. There's the Curse of Strahd table. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I have that already. <laughs> oh, okay. Just thought I'd let you know. Until the end of the world. Until the end of the world. Okay, now I'm going to find this. Good night, everybody. <laughs> the music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 